Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Yes, it is that uh, time of the week again. Uh, I'm delighted to say Mick O'Connell uh, in, in all his loveliness is with me in the studio. Good afternoon, Mick. Good afternoon. Brilliant uh, to be here. Uh, and Esther and Fanula join us as well. Good afternoon to you both. Hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. Hi, you're both there. That's fantastic. That's fantastic to hear. Uh, Mick Senior here. Um, looking well. Thank looking you very well. much. Yeah, Feeling well. well. Yeah, looking good. Well done. Got the hair done. Yeah. As soon as I was allowed, <laughs> I was in the queue. Yeah. So uh, what are we going to be talking about today, Mick? We're going to do Father's Day wines, given I think it's Sunday week. So uh, we're going to do Valpolicella Ripasso. This is from a producer called Terra Venetica. And then we're going to do a Rioja Reserva from a producer called Lopez de Haro. And these are both quite smooth, full-bodied wines for the smooth, suave dad in your life. Right, okay, so that's what makes them Father's Day wines or, you know, as the reality being, you could actually drink in. I, I always think dads in particular, but men in general, we all know that we like full-bodied reds. And they're probably the three wine words that we know, so it's full-bodied red. So that's what we're always after when we're when we're looking for wine. I, but is that just because men are weird and, and, and scared someone's going to say they're gay if they drink anything that isn't completely full-bodied red? There's got to be some sort of macho in it, doesn't there? Yeah. Um, and and what, what, I, what I think is funny is they're probably the only words that we know in general, so we use them all the time. But actually, quite often, we just like wet wine. As long as the wine is wet. wet and alcoholic, I think most of us like that. Yeah, wine you have to chew wouldn't be my first option. Uh, <laughs> I, I would certainly say that. Uh, and Esther, I, I was actually uh, pleased and also a little bit saddened to see that like this week you're, you're getting to review the, the, the Phil Linnett documentary because it was kind of poignant seeing posters for it on buses going around the place for the last few months. Oh my God. He, he literally became the poster boy for the second lockdown. Didn't yes. He? I mean, it's um, it's a, a good happy day though for, for Ema Reynolds and Breakout Pictures um, who are finally getting to release, release this in the cinema. Um, Songs for While I'm Away. It's uh, a lovely documentary this and it was originally supposed to be released I think back in the autumn in October. It fell victim to um, uh, restrictive measures then and uh, they rescheduled for the 26th of December, Sean, of mm. last year. Yeah. And the cinemas closed on the 24th. Um, so a lot of public people might feel they think this is a, has been out already because yes. they've seen the posters on the buses <laughs> and they've read, the, you know, some interviews with Emer and stuff like that. Uh, but this is, you know, brand new to cinemas from um, from today. Right. OK. And is I mean, given I suppose we think we know so much about uh, about him, uh, is there anything new that can be said about him? Yeah, I think she I think Ema Reynolds frames this very cleverly. Um, it, it almost plays like a documentary songbook, if I can make that a genre now. Um, it tells stories from Phil, Phil Linet, actually. That's a point yes, made. In yes, yes. Yeah. Yep, we've all been mispronouncing <laughs> yeah. it all along. Um, and I'm probably going to do it again. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it tells stories from his life and has great contributions, actually, from people like um, the Tunisian guitarist Scott Gorham, who, frankly, if he ever gets his own um, reality TV show, I am going to be glued to. He's an absolute character. Um, Mid-Your, people like that. Also, his daughters, Sarah and Kathleen, who, who rarely do interviews. So, you know, there's a, a wealth of access here. But what I really like is they frame um, 
his life around his words and music, you know, not having the documentary subject you most want in the room, I suppose. Emer Reynolds gets beyond that by bringing his lyrics and his music back to life. And some of the lyrics are really poignant, you know, made me think about his songs in ways I'd never had before, actually. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and and our second movie today is uh, why actually why is it taking so long for the father to to reach our screens? Given it's you know there's already uh, Academy Awards and all the rest of it. Yeah, it was one of the last ones we got to see. I, I think again it was probably um, delayed due to uh, COVID restrictions. You know because it got it got a release in, in the US in time for. Um, the award season, obviously, which was longer than usual this year. It was well into Fab- February, March, I think. But yeah, we're getting it late. It's like the old days where you get a, mo- a movie four mm-hmm. or five months later after the US. And uh, this, this caused a bit of a stir when Anthony Hopkins, if you remember, was um, given the Best Actor Award, even though it was widely expected that uh, Chadwick Boseman would get a posthumous award uh, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, but and and people were a bit put out that he wasn't there, that he was actually, you know, forgetting that he's a man and he's he's an 80 year old man now and he was in bed in Wales, you know. <laughs> um, so it was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a stir. But my gosh, is this a, a well-deserved best Oscar winner? He is terrific in it. In a career full of great performances, I think this is Hopkins at his very best. Right. OK. And then deser- unbalanced deserving of the Oscar? Totally, totally. Yeah. And that, this is the last of the best actor performances. I've, I've seen them all now. Um, and I would have been making a case for um, Sound of Metal. Uh, that's mm. such a great lead performance there. But this p- pips it for me. And it's I know we've been joking the last few um, weeks of, about some films would leave you in flitters. But uh, mm. this one really will because it's about... Um, a man who is in in the throes of um uh, of dementia and really struggling with that and it it takes some really really clever decisions though that we'll talk about maybe a bit later right okay and so while uh, Mick O'Connell is here sipping on his full body dread he's more than excited uh, uh, for news about the new uh, sex in the city reboot uh, uh, so uh, Fanula, you have some on that regard I sure do. I sure do. I think we talked earlier this month about Chris Nath coming back as Mr. Big. Um, but there are four other original characters coming back to the reboot, which is called And Just Like That. So we have David Eigenberg. He played uh, Miranda's husband, Steve Brady. He's coming back. Evan Handler was Charlotte's husband. The nice, nice Jewish guy. Harry Goldenblatt. He's coming back. And then probably maybe lesser known or maybe people that would have kind of been forgotten uh, by me in particular. Uh, Willie Garrison, he's coming back as uh, Carrie Bradshaw's best friend, Stanford Blatch. And then we have rounding out the four, Mario Cantone. He's coming back as uh, the event planner, uh, Anthony Marantino. So exciting for a Sex and the City fans. I feel like the more I hear about this, the less I care. Um, it mm. kind of, I kind of understand why these guys are coming back because they're obviously not as famous as the famous four that made their name with this show. Um, I, I am kind of interested to see how they do this. As we said, obviously they're kind of taking it that it's the gals like exploring the city and sex as women in their 50s. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I'm interested, but I'm cautious. But Kim Cattrall definitely isn't coming back. So we, we can kind of uh, infer from that that episode one will be her funeral. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like, 
I feel like they'd like to keep it open uh, in the event that hell freezes over because as you said like Kim's made it very clear and um, she seems to have a very fractious uh, relationship with Sarah Jessica Parker I don't know about the rest of the cast but she's made it very clear she has no intentions of ever coming back I'd say they won't close the door fully themselves but I'm sure she's they'll have her away on some holiday or somewhere uh, living her best life and something like that I'd say maybe they'll talk about zooming her or something who knows Right, okay, well they could do that. Ah, no, they could give her some sort of comedy death, surely. I'd enjoy that, but I just, I can't see it happening, to be honest. Right, okay. And the, the, your woman from uh, Grey, who's, uh, she was in Grey's Anatomy, she's kind of, she's going to be a recurring character, so th- is this kind of a new, you know, that kind of annoying. And then I got thinking that this kind of uh, mechanism they use, is that going to replace that? Yes, I think I think that's the aim. So that this person is going to be playing like a podcast host, um, that uh, a podcast that Carrie regularly features on. But I also don't know if they're going to kind of use it as a mechanic to kind of pull Carrie up on some of the questionable stuff that she wrote and said in the past series, because that's something that's come up. I think more and more as we reflect on the series and the impact that it had. Like it wasn't without its kind of problematic takes and language and scenarios and stuff. So I feel like that's why that's kind of being put in there as well. But I mean, I would imagine, as you said, we're going to have our um, shovel loads of. And then I thought, and so dear readers and so dear listeners, as we get from normal podcasts anyway. So Yeah, yeah but are they going to have her still writing the same sad column decades later? I mean, still miserable and married to Mr. Big? Probably, probably, Sean. <laughs> Crikey. Right, anyway, uh, a few uh, already put reactions are coming in for uh, uh, what uh, Mick has planned for today. Kieran says, uh, uh, no, it's not. I often look for a lighter red, such as a gamay. Uh, I have a beard, two children, a girlfriend, a trailer and a mall for splitting wood. Just to paint the picture for you. Uh, another Manly Martin says, I'm such a man that the only wine I'll drink is a full bodied sherry. Ooh. And uh, someone else says, I'm loving that make is trying to give us fathers an excuse to drink the wine that we plan on drinking anyway, more than a week out from Father's Day. So what is the first one, mate? So the first one is a Valpolicella Ripassa. So um, Valpolicella is a region which is near Verona in, uh, in northeast Italy and obviously famous for Romeo and Juliet and all of that kind of stuff. And it's also famous for two big styles of red wine, one of them being Amarone and this one here, which is called Rapasso. And this particular one is by a producer called Terra Venetica. And it's an organic wine from 2015, which means no pesticides or chemicals used in the growing of the grapes. But the the really interesting thing with Rapasso is that you use kind of two styles of wine to make this style. One is kind of a light, juicy, bright style of red wine. And then you repass it, which is the repasso, ah, right. through Amarone grapes. So grapes that were used in the processing of Amarone, which have been dried. Mm. So you get this drying of grapes, which means you get a fresh wine and a kind of dried raisiny style. So that's where you get all the kind of full body textures and stuff like that from. So really bright cherry and then that deep raisin damson. Is that an unusual process then? It's a very unusual process. Like in, in the world of wine, that's pretty much the only... Sorry, I should say this is the region that's famous for it. Mm. And now because as a style it's really taken off, other regions are starting to replicate it. But traditionally, this is pretty much the only place that would do that. Right. OK, that is. Because, yeah I, I, yeah, I never knew that about Rapasso. And yeah, the, the drying of the grapes would be widely used in, in Italy. So they would they would pick the grapes, leave them on mats in the vineyard, let the sun do its job and allow a little bit of uh, water to evaporate out of mm. the grapes. 
And in doing that, they're concentrating the flavours that are there. So there's much more flavour, much more tannin, much more stuffing that you yeah. can extract, which is why you get such full-bodied wines like Amarone. But you see people in the south of Italy now doing it. So Primitivo, Puglia, all of these kind of Primitivo, the grape variety, Puglia, the region. But you get these really big, big reds from there now. So if if you're into that big style, look out for the word Rapasso. And there's some really famous producers who do it. Mazzi do a Rapasso style, which they don't write Rapasso on, but that's Campo Fiorin. Um, Zenato do a Rapasso as well. That's really famous. So you, you see a lot of really good producers doing this. Style. Does it take long? Does it, does it make the production process a bit longer? So for Amarone, they would tend to dry the grapes for about four months. So with this particular one, with the Rapasso, you'll get fresh wine made and, and it, it, it does its fermentation true to dryness and then they'll keep it in stainless steel tanks or in barrels, depending on, on the producer. And then once the grapes for Amarone have been used, they'll put this fresh wine through effectively the remnants of the Amarone. Mm. So it's a, it's, it's a really interesting style, but it, 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 brings, it brings you a lot of the Amarone character and body at basically half the price. All right, that's fair enough. And, and that price is, say that again? This would be 25 euros. Right, okay. And and, and your ABV on that would be? Um, this particular one is 13.5. And actually, this is definitely in the more elegant styles for Rapasso in general. Yeah. A lot of them are really, really big. Mm. Amarone, you tend to get 14 and a half, 15, 15 and a half, even 16 degrees alcohol. Yeah, so these yeah. are some of the really big ones. No, that's lovely. But sometimes with the, uh, the, those really big wines, you kind of feel yourself dehydrating after the first sip already. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so sometimes I think with these, like you need to be sharing a bottle. With this particular one, I think all the dads will be able to get through. Oh, no, the this is themselves. fine by yourself. Yeah, with <laughs> just a straw. Uh, Philip says uh, the Romans named the area Valla Palacella, meaning Valley of the Many Cellars. There you go. Yeah, with a C, obviously. Uh, would, you, would your manly man be able to recommend a manly, full bodied Aglianicho uh, to go with my very manly steak tonight? Aglianico. So that's from down near Naples, it tends to be. So again, it's the south, and they call it the Barolo of the south. Um, funnily enough, Little did an Alianico for a while that was really, really good value. And mm. then, in terms of a producer, they don't sponsor us anymore, so we don't care. Oh, do they not? Uh, no. Oh, no, God, I take no. that back okay, then. Right, that one yeah. was awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that much. There is a line. Okay, no, no. it was. They, they genuinely had a really, really good one that right. was nine ninety nine. So worth worth sussing out. All right. Okay. Generous to the end, Mick. Uh, so, what movie would you like to talk about first, Esther? Oh, let's talk about Philo, will we? Okay, we'll talk about uh, songs from while I'm away after this. One Monday morning, we call down to the headmaster, and he goes, "What do you want to do?" Do you want a good, steady trade, a job, or do you want to be a dirty rock musician? If anybody had been born to be a rock star, I feel then was born to be a rock star. One of the greatest songwriters of all time. Literally the best hard rock entertainer I've ever seen. Guess who just got there you go. That's uh, Songs for a While I'm Away, the new Phil uh, Linus uh, uh, documentary. Right, Esther, uh, uh, tell us a bit more. Is it a life story or, or how is it structured? It's structured around his songs. And I don't know about you, Sean, but I want to be a dirty rock musician. 
Um, I didn't want a steady trade. I think that clip is just hilarious. Um, so it, it's framed around these songs and there were a lot of songs in here. I'd say they run to a couple of dozen anyway. So as well as the really, really well-known ones, um, there were certainly songs I had never heard before um, featured in this as well. And uh so it, it's kind of like you do learn a lot about him. Um, it is le- as a film, it's less interested in the circumstances of his death, I think. OK, uh, it's it certainly doesn't gloss over that. Like some reviewers in, in have uh, have um, accused it of, in my view. Uh, in fact, I think it, they really personalize his final days by having people like his uncle Peter are talking about um, reaching out to him. You know, I think it's actually very poignant, but it is very much a celebration of um, Phil Lynott's music and his legacy and what he contributed to music and how he blazed a trail in so many ways, you know, and how how dare this little uh, black working class black boy from from um, Crumlin in 19, you know, born into 1950s Ireland in very, very different times, dare to dream so big, really. That's kind of what I took from it, you know. But there are lovely little gems, little nuggets of information as well. Like there, we find out um, that he was a huge Dennis the Menace fan as a kid and he even had a dog named Nasher. Hence the just, tops which, he used to wear. Which, yeah, exactly. Which just seems perfect to me, makes perfect sense to me. Um, the contribution from his brother Peter is, is, is poignant of its time as well because his uncle, who's only, um, the, the age gap between them is only 18 months or something, so they were like brothers. But he recalls, you know, the first time he even knew of Phil's existence was when his mother Philomena brought him home from London as a boy. And he was, you know, he was a few years old by then. So this was kind of how this panned out in Ireland at the time, you know. Uh, and then he's, you know, Phil, Philomena, as everyone knows, went back and worked and he he was raised in Crumlin by his by her family. Um, he talks about going to school in Crumlin for the first time and, being, you know, getting comments like, look, look at the blackie, look at the blackie. And um, that they used to basically anyone who used it, that, that term against Phil would get um, they'd get beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> that was how they they solved it. And within a matter of weeks, he was one of the most popular kids in the school. Uh, so you do get that really richness of detail. Um, and you get, I think, really good contributions from people as well, like um, Scott Graham, who's now 70, but still looks like it's in Lizzie uh, Rockstar, totally. And he, he speaks really fondly of, of Phil and, and, and kind of the wild times they had. Midge Yore is an interesting one because uh, I'd forgotten that Midge Yore ended up uh, touring with Thin Lizzy in America, Sean, if, if you remember that. Um, and, it, you know, they, they have a good laugh with how the Ultravox image really didn't sit with the lads from uh, Thin Lizzy in terms of their look. Um, and then... You know, they, they talk about there's great contributions. Unfortunately, um, Philomena, Phil's mother, is, isn't there. I think by the time this film is getting made, she was too ill um, to mm. participate. But his daughters, Kathleen and Sarah, are there uh, talking about um, they even joke about why, you know, he had to write a song for, for the other one because it, she was jealous of her sibling <laughs> and stuff like that. So there's lovely color in there for me. The music is what makes this sore, though, I have to say, like 
it it's reflects on events in his life it reflects on when he went to london and you know the, the prejudice he would have met over there and then it pans back to some really personalized lyrics from some of his songs and you realize i i I'd never realized it to my shame because those tunes are so fantastic um that what a brilliant lyricist he was you know and that is what it stand out for me it makes me listen to his songs and his writing in a way I never did before um, and that to me is the success of the film directed by Ema Reynolds um, who is a background as a film editor and it shows uh, the, the Im- images are really lively she makes a really good use of the footage um, that she has and the contributors that she has and her background as well as in if you remember uh, she made a film called the Fardest, uh, about three or four years oh, ago. Oh, yes. A, yeah. A, a documentary about the Voyager, the mm. space um, Voyager. And if you haven't seen it, it is fantastic. Um, really one of our best documentary makers here at the moment, I think. And it is. Yeah, I just really, really enjoyed this, I have to say. Um, and you're reminded then as, as well, I suppose, of the, as I say, it's not the film's main focus, um, but it's a shocking reminder of his death from... Um, heart failure and pneumonia after struggling with drug and alcohol issues and you do learn how much he had isolated himself as well I think Mm. in the times leading up to his death and I suppose a reminder that he was only 36 years old when he died my god like what more he had to offer the world in terms of music and culture it's a shame uh, Neil says what a character Phil was he really blazed a trail for Irish stars that came later without Phil there would be no Hosier or U2 although we shouldn't blame him for them uh, Paul says I saw the trailer for this the other day and in other times I'd probably not have been too bothered about going to see this but the idea of listening to those tunes full blast with other human beings after a year of no gigs means I can't wait for this uh, the line documentary was a joy to watch says this text we've seen it already a lovely personal tribute to a very special man with a special place in in Irish musical history. Uh, somebody else has texted in to say, I'm fortunate enough to have worked on Philip's personal archive, letters, photos, etc. Looking through the remains of someone's life can be a moving experience. And even though this was only for a short time, it has stayed with me ever since. God, how interesting. Niall says, finally getting to see Phil's movie, booked stellar outlines for next week. Can't wait to feel a bit of normal life again. Uh, so now I suppose it's kind of all those things are tied in with each other at the same time Esther to be devil's advocate here he died in 1986 so there's a whole generation indeed generations for whom he mightn't mean that much I'm not sure I think some music just lives on I've like I've a lot of nephews in their early 20s who were complete cure heads and they've all gone through their cure phase um, that's because you beat it into them. That's why they're cure heads. <laughs> that's not an independent thing. <laughs> now, the, the cure are still a living and working and touring mm-hmm. band. So there is that. But I don't know. I, I just think some songs live on in the imagination. Um, w- we'll see, I suppose, who turns up and who goes. Uh, but I think yeah, I think this is me. This music lives on. I really uh, well, it might, I, well, obviously, there would be a generation who would be very interested in this. But uh, yeah. uh, it, it might be kind of a nostalgia thing to a degree. True, and it is a very affectionate portrait of him, I would say. Um, we, are, are you a fan, Sean? Would you um, listen much to them? Uh, not a huge amount. Uh, I think probably everybody had a copy of Live and Dangerous. It was a great live album. Um, mm. uh, uh, so to that extent, yes. Yeah, yeah. Eva Reynolds is a fan herself as well, yeah. actually. And she um, talks about going to see 
their final gig in um in Dublin, the final Tin Lizzy gig, and that, that you know he'd said he was making solo music at that stage. I think, and she said the tears were when I interviewed her for this. She said the tears were flowing, hmm. um, but that people were aware and realised that Tin Lizzy were breaking up, and that you know you don't often, I suppose, go to a gig like that knowing it's the last time you're going to see a band. So it was a really emotional night. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, then, uh, uh, we'll ask Vanula, as our token young person, Phil Linet. I mean, I think I kind of, everything I know of him, I know from my parents. And I recognize that he was obviously like a big figure for them. Right. And I do agree with Esther to a point that like his music has lived on in, for my generation, in kind of like a meme way, like the boys are back in town and stuff. Hmm. Um, so I think that's why it's kind of imprinted in my brain. And I think there is a recognition that he was incredible. Um, I, she's painted a great picture of this Esther, though. Like, I probably wouldn't have had a huge amount of interest before I heard her describe this. Like, you can't really beat a good music documentary. And I think the best music documentaries are the one where are the ones where you kind of go in and you might not have a huge knowledge or even a huge interest. And then you come out and you're like, oh, my God, this person or band was completely amazing. I need to know everything about them now. Right. OK. So if I'm reading you right, what you're saying is that uh, Phil Lynott would be in the same mental category for you as Parnell or Michael Collins, just something your parents might have been interested in. <laughs> Listen, or, or if that's you. what you took from what I said. <laughs> uh, speaking of old people, uh, Liam Neeson's guy is not coming back to Star Wars. No, he's not. So this is a rumour that's kind of been bandied around for the last while with the announcement of the the Obi-Wan spin-off show that's coming to Disney Plus, as far as I'm aware. Um, it's basically going to... There was talk of that there was going to be this scene uh, between uh, Obi-Wan, who's going to be played by Ewan McGregor, he's uh, reprising the role, and Jedi Padawan Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, also coming back. Very excited for that. Um, there was rumours that Neeson would be coming back maybe in some kind of flashback ghost role as Keegan Jinn. Um, but he said basically, no, they haven't approached him. Um, he said he'd heard Ewan McGregor's going to do it. Um, but he's not really interested in this point. He also made a joke about that they don't have enough money, um, which surprises me because I feel like Disney have very deep pockets. Mm. So potentially <laughs> Neeson is just too expensive. But I don't know. I, I wouldn't rule it out totally yet. He could just be being very coy and playing it down. Um, the fans would go mad, I'd say, if he did sign up for this. Like, oh. there's already a lot of hype around it. Okay, mad in a good way or a bad way? I think in a good way. All right, okay. And is his, I don't know, is his character dead or do we see him die? In, in one I'm pretty of the sure he dies. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he dies. And, and now Mick is, Mick is giving me the like slice across the neck symbol, so uh, a gesture of this, so it looks like yeah. he's, he's a goner. Okay. Yeah, he's so a goner, yeah. So that's why they were kind of saying he'll come back as like, it was a dream and in, you know, like that kind of a way as but opposed he, to he's he could, not actually going to be there. Couldn't he come back in a kind of a hologram Alec Guinness way? I mean, anything's possible really in 2021. I, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. But I mean, in the Star Wars universe, any, no one's dead really. They can just come, oh, in yeah. a kind of ghosty, <laughs> ghosty exactly. force way. Okay, well, that's, that, that's exciting to know. Uh, the, uh, another text that says, we'll definitely be giving that documentary a watch. Any excuse to hear the iconic sound of Phil's voice alongside Gary Moore on the guitar of all uh, the Irish rock bands in the past century. Lizzie stand out for me in the past century. Crikey. Uh, I don't know how many Irish rock bands there were in the 1920s. Uh, probably 
Oh, well, they're already thin enough on the ground. Uh, Texer says, I swear by the Rapasso Red, delicious, rich, flavour like nothing else available. Uh, we already uh, sampled that one. Does it make me less of a manly man to enjoy Father's Day with a glass of Prosecco? Absolutely not. You, you can drink absolutely whatever to your heart's content. Rosé, because I think it's going to be, are we still good weather next Sunday? It's definitely good weather this Sunday, but yeah. it, could, it could be Rosé. Who knows? It? Yeah, who knows? Uh, um, you should see the gestures that Mick was making when he was saying absolutely. Uh, where can I find a Zanato Amarone? Haven't found it in years. It's absolutely amazing, says Paul. You should find it pretty widely available in indie merchants, but Searson's in Monkstown will have it. Um, I know that McHugh's, who are local to me on the Kilbarrack Road and on the Malahide Road, both definitely stocked it in the past. So. Right, okay. So it, it, it is findable. Right, okay. You, uh, you are listening to The Moncrief Show and News Talk. We have one more movie, one more wine to talk about after this. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cent. Uh, we do have a, a hashtag, of course. It is vaccinated movies. Uh, many entries for that. Wuhan Lake uh, being one of them. Uh, Esther was already telling us about the, the new Phil Linus documentary. Uh, Phil Linus re- represents for me what a village Dublin felt like in the 70s and early 80s. Even though it could be seen as a dark time, his old time video breaks my heart and makes Dublin the star of the video. Indeed it does. Phil was at the height of his charismatic powers in it. His walk down Grafton Street and over the Hapney Bridge is iconic. Can't wait to see the doc, uh, says Hello, uh, My daughter, uh, Nora says, my daughter was born in 1985 and her all time favourite song is Thin Lizzy's Dancing in the Moonlight. So good music lives on, uh, says Nora. Uh, Michael says, I was at a tribute concert in Derry for Phil's birthday that Philomena was at. I think I must have been one of the oldest there. Uh, it felt so odd. And uh, someone texted in to say, Jesus, when did he become Phil Linus? It's Linus. I know, I know, I know. We've all been calling him Phil Linus forever. But that's not actually his name. His name is Linus. They do make that point in the documentary. And Alice says, saw Philo back in uh, 1980 in the then famous Pink Elephant. Ah, yes. We all saw people at the Pink Elephant uh, back in the day. Uh, and uh, we were, uh, Fanula was telling us that uh, Hayden Christensen will be coming back in one of those many Star Wars spin-offs. Hayden Christensen knew! His Anakin Skywalker was one of the worst acting performances literally in the entire history of cinema. There you go. Uh, There you go, grammar fans. There's a use of the word literally that's completely redundant. That I don't like sound scene, dear God. Uh, Okay, thanks for sharing that. We have no idea what you're talking about, but maybe Star Wars fans uh, do. Uh, Mick, what's our second wine today? This next one is Lopez de Haro and it's a Rioja Reserva. And this is a real perennial favourite. This is super, super wine from right in the heart of the Rioja region from a, a village called San Sierra de la Vicente. And it's one of those old kind of almost medieval looking town, kind of fort towns up on a hill and just surrounded by the most fantastic old vines. But this is mainly Tempranillo with a splash of Grenache to, to bring up a little bit of that red berry fruit. And it's a really soft, smooth, kind of velvety style of wine. Strawberry, raspberry, little touch of vanilla in terms of the flavours. But this is made by um, a company called Vintai, who produce wine in Rioja, but also in other regions like Toro, where they make the Matsu wines, which are quite famous for the... They have a young man, a middle-aged man and an old man on the label. And they're, they're quite kind of iconic labels already. But the guys behind this, there's 
it's two young brothers. They're they're in their mid thirties, and I'm sure they love Thin Lizzy because they do love a sing song. I've been kicked out of karaoke bars in Lagrano at four o'clock in the morning on a Monday night with these guys, so they do love a sing song. But uh, in in terms of in terms of Rioja Reserva, this is exactly what we want from a glass of Rioja. It's oaky and full and smooth. It's and very Rioja, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's quite good fun. Yeah, it's quite good fun. Uh, and why, why, why do they you mention they have a, a young man, a middle aged man, and an old man? And what, what's the deal so there? So that's that's for the the Matsu range, which is it's also Tempranillo, so the same grape variety as as what's famous in Rioja, but it's done in Toro, and basically. In Rioja, you have Crianza, Reserva and Gran Reserva as the kind of quality pyramid. And in Toro, they kind of took a different outlook and they said, look, this is young man is the young wine. Middle aged man is the equivalent of a Reserva in Rioja. And the older man is like a Gran Reserva. Mm. But actually, all three wines have really old vines. Um, so it's a little bit deceptive, but they are aged longer in oak as they go up. But they're kind of they're very, very popular and brilliant for this time of year when you're talking about kind of barbecues and that kind of stuff. They're really, really good food wines. Uh, Esther, Kevin and Johnny Gall wants to know, uh, have you seen uh, Bob Odenkirk's Nobody? Uh, I heard it could be the new John Wick. Uh, that would be I, uh, the guy from Better Call Saul. I have indeed, actually. It And it's from the writers of John Wick. And it is, oh. yeah, if you can imagine a slightly more middle-aged and cantankerous John Wick uh, who can use weapons with just as much dexterity, then you've got nobody. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, actually. It's, it's um, I think it does what the earlier Liam Neeson kind of actioners did very well before they got, they got really ridiculous is it's just slightly nicely <laughs> Before they were grounded ridiculous. in reality, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there is a lot of fun being had. Um, and yeah, there's all this kind of stuff you want in an action movie like that. Like, you know, lots of uh, a very high body count, Russian baddies. And uh, yeah, everyone's having a blast. And I think it's set up for a sequel. I think you, you could see a John Wick style series. Right. OK. And is he kind of credible as this kind of a character? Because he doesn't look like super fit or ninja-ish or anything. And that's the, that's a nice piece of casting because the, the nobody in the title refers to him as kind of a, a Mr. Nobody. Um, and the whole thing kicks off when people break into his house and he's accused by his own family of not defending them properly. Uh, and everyone keeps having a, a jibe at him for, for doing that. And he's been kind of told he's Mr. Nobody, Mr. Nice Guy his entire life. But really, he's got this background. He's been he's worked um, in the past for some very unsavory people. So he has been trying to suppress um, his evil side, but it just bubbles over. So it's a it's a lot of fun. Right. OK, so this unleashes his uh, murderous impulses. Uh, OK, so. Completely. <laughs> All round family entertainment. Uh, uh, but then again, kind of an idea we've seen over and over and over again. Speaking of which, uh, another uh, another Stephen King adaptation. Woohoo! This is what the world's been waiting for, Fanula. Who asked for this? I just... And this is... It, like, it's been done before. I just don't... Anyway, it's uh, Christine, the killer car thriller. Um, it was done in 1983 by John Carpenter. But this time, uh, Brian Fuller's having a go at it. People know him from Hannibal. Uh, writing and directing for people who don't know what Christine is it's basically this guy teenager buys a car decides to restore it starts to come out of his shell the trouble is the car is a mind of its own and has murderous intent as you do and um, starts to change him everything around him and um, I I don't know again I think maybe Stephen King even Stephen King fans might be over it at this point 
Um, we don't need another. Can we have new movies, please? New stories? Can we stop with the adaptations? Yeah. Are we that hard up for cash, please, guys? Can we ba- not? Ba- basically, that Stephen King story is basically an evil Herbie Rides Again. That's exactly, a, It's not yeah. even an original story in that sense. Now, that's, that's what I want to see. I would like to see an evil Herbie fully loaded starring Lindsay Lohan, please. I don't want another one. I don't want another Christine. Right. Thanks. Herbie loaded Market. with drugs and weapons. That kind of a, <laughs> that kind of a Herbie. What you could have is a Herbie who's at home with his family and then they get attacked. Herbie doesn't do anything about it. His family started uh, mocking him for it. And then it turns out Herbie was a hitman for the mob for years. Killer three-point turns. I love it. Yeah, Yeah, because no one ever ever suspects the Volkswagen when there's a killing. (laughs) Never. It's a well-known fact in in police procedure. Uh, The... uh, uh, one texture says I uh, went to a Lizzie concert in Sydney during 1980 persuaded my then Aussie mates to go such a high made me very proud to be Irish uh, says this texture Andrew says I've chosen Duas Quintas Turiga Nationale from Ju- the Jura Reason as my wedding w- uh, wine have I chosen wisely yeah really really good wine yeah that's quite again not dissimilar to Rioja in terms of it's quite plush and rounded and yeah and and it'll be a crowd pleaser as well which is important for the wedding wine so it's a good choice okay we'll move on to our uh, second movie of the day it is The Father here's a clip yes tap dancing was my specialty really you seem surprised yeah a little bit why don't you believe me or you find that difficult to imagine (laughs) of course it's just I've I've always loved tap dancing you really wow I'm still great at it I'll show you. <laughs> Aye! <laughs> Jolly good. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I know, I know who she reminds me of. Who? It's Lucy, Lucy when she was younger. Lucy? Yeah, my other daughter. <laughs> That's right. There's a resemblance, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Her unbearable habit of laughing inanely. I had you there, didn't I? Mm. Yeah. It's a. I always find it difficult to buy Anthony Hopkins as a completely sympathetic character. Is that the case in this film, Master? Yeah, brilliantly cast, brilliantly cast, and it's a by a French filmmaker. Um, actually, this is his debut film. He's a, a really well-known playwright and novelist, though, uh, by the name of Florian Zeller, and he, when he was adapting his play, he's big hit stage play La Pair, um, once he got Anthony Hopkins on board, decided to make it in English. That's how much he wanted Anthony Hopkins. And I think that is brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant piece of casting. Um, he is sensational in it. The film is fantastic. It will stay with you. But I have to give you the caveat. If if you're impacted on this world um, of dementia, it's going to be a really hard watch. Like I have mm. never had anyone directly affected and I found it a really tough watch. Um, but as a piece of filmmaking, it is exceptional. Um, so what, it, what it does first is it takes the old um, trope of storytelling, the unreliable narrator. We've seen them in everything from the usual suspects to, to Gone Girl recently. Um, but he takes that idea and uses a devastating effect because you're tricked early in the film and you're tricked often because the unreliable narrator is Anthony Hopkins character and he is losing his mind. Um, So it had my attention five minutes in because there's an opening scene with him and his daughter, Olivia Coleman, who's talking to, you know, she's saying, will you please stop 
arguing with the nurses and your carers all the time and stop um, making them quit because I'm moving to Paris. I've met this man. I'm in love with him. I've told you this before. Um, and if you want to live independently in your flat, uh, you're going to need to work with me here. And then he gets up, goes into the room. It turns out he's not in his flat. He's in her flat. And it turns out her husband is sitting in the sit- in the sitting room. He doesn't know who this is. And then she goes, the daughter goes out and then she comes back after going to the grocery store and she's another person. And it is it's a oh, devastating wow. series of reveals that you are inside the mind of a person who is at the stage of dementia where they know stuff's going wrong and they're really angry about that as well and denying it and trying to trick um, people that they're okay. It's all of that stuff going on. It is a terrific film. It's a terrific device. Um, It risks running out because you're being basically given a series of red hens constantly. Mm. That needs to be really good writing for that to work. And it is. um, And I suppose everyone's talking about Anthony Hopkins. But bear in mind as well that this won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay this year as well for Florian Zeller. It's a fantastic film. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to watch it again, um, Mm -hmm. which is how I felt about another movie from a few years ago, actually. Um, A brilliant, brilliant um, performance from uh, Julianne Moore and Still Alice, Mm. another woman aware of her um, declining uh, mental state. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really good. This I know people go, oh God, am I able for a tough watch? Um, and it is one of the toughest. I it will stay with you, but the rewards are there. Like this is brilliantly executed. Uh, and the, the the funny, like I mean, it had him, and, and you mentioned Olivia Coleman as well. Uh, like, why didn't this? Because it seemed almost like a surprise when he won the Oscar, and 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 I think he won in 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 Britain as well, and that seemed to be also a surprise. Yeah, it was. And I think, yeah, I don't even know if he got a BAFTA nomination for it. Um, There was a really good piece, actually, in one of the trades. It might be Variety. I'll I'll find it and I'll I'll stick it up on Twitter. But it was basically how they ran a brilliant campaign by taking advantage of the fact um, that this film had been delayed and very little was known about it. Uh, And that that can be kind of the exciting film that gets the late run then, you know, and it succeeded um, and deservedly. So I would say on on two fronts at the Oscars. Uh, So sometimes it can be about just running a brilliant campaign and releasing at the right time as well and getting that bit of momentum as you go over the line, you know. Uh, and both the uh, films we were talking about today, they're both in those crazy new fangled cinema invention. Mad cinemas. They, right. This thing they've invented recently, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, that's good to hear. Uh, thank you all yeah. very much uh, uh, to Esther and Fanula and, and to Mick. That's our lot uh, for today. Joe Malloy is sitting in today uh, on the hard shoulder. Our production team today, Dara Fallon, Aid a- McKelvey and Michael Quilligan. We'll talk to you on Monday at 2. Have a lovely weekend. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, more for you Enjoy alcohol sensibly Visit drinkaware.ie